1: The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily.
2: It feels like we've waited forever, but finally it's over. The international break is done and even better, no more international football until March. The Premier League is back. So are we here at Football Social Daily to preview all the weekend's action. I say we're back, but we never really went away. We bring you a brand new podcast every single day of the season on the Premier League, so hit that subscribe button and let us keep you in the loop with all the goings-on in the English top flight. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, they say. Certainly the case with us and the Premier League after the two-week break. But can the same be said about two old foes? Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola, two of the game's biggest characters and successful managers, do battle this weekend as Tottenham host Manchester City. On his first anniversary as Spurs boss, can the special one make it a special one year or will his old adversary Pep get the better of him after committing to another two years in rainy Manchester this week? Plus there's a top of the table clash on Sunday as leaders Leicester City travel to reigning champions Liverpool, but will this be more like a reserves game than a big billing blockbuster? Both the Foxes and the Reds ravaged by injury heading into that one. Also, we discussed two sides really in need of a win as Leeds host Arsenal, with both teams having lost three of their last four games. And Manchester United go in search of a first Premier League win at Old Trafford since July. Their opponents, West Brom... Well, they just want a Premier League win wherever it comes. This is Football Social Daily. This is the Weekend Preview Podcast. I'm Niall McCorn. And with me to piece together the Premier League puzzle this week, we have presenter Natalie Pavlek. Hello, Nats.
0: Hello, love. Yay! No more international football.
2: Woo. Well, you would have enjoyed it being a Scotland supporter.
0: Well, to be fair, I have been having a party since last Thursday. I ignored the following games, obviously, that happened since it. Um, but just that one win, I have been living off ever since.
2: Has there been plenty of whiskey drunk and lots of other Scottish things done in that time? Oh, yeah. My, my
0: fridge is stocked full of iron brew and lots of other, you know, no, no, no product placements <laughs> intended. Yeah,
2: I do love a good iron brew. I think it's an underrated drink, you know. Um, you have also got massively. broadcaster Michelle Owen here as well. All right there, Michelle.
3: Yeah no hello I I don't like I'm Bruce sorry sorry to oh, ruin the oh,
2: Scottish vibe no uh, way sickly
3: very sickly guy yeah that sugar free one that's a can, tip. Mm.
2: I can see why people What's don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I can see. Have you been up to anything uh, particularly interesting worth mentioning during the international break? Well, probably um, not as exciting well, as that is. <laughs> I mean,
3: not not as exciting as drinking iron brew. But no, I mean, League One, League Two still continued. So yes. um, I, I took in a couple of games. I was at Warsaw, I was at Swindon. Um, but yeah, like you guys, glad, glad to have the Premier League and Championship back because, yeah, it's just, it's like, there's a big hole, isn't it? So really looking forward to getting, getting it back this weekend.
2: As you say, Michelle, football does exist outside of the Premier League. I think it's important (laughs) that I should mention that, uh, being a Portsmouth fan. But there we go. Time to talk about the Premier League. And the first game we're going to talk about is a top-of-the-table clash. First versus third in the top-flight table. Leicester City travel to Anfield to take on Liverpool. This game kicks off at 7.15 on Sunday. Now, Leicester City go into this game, that top-of-the-table. If they win this, and we'll talk about the injuries for both sides in a second because they are quite severe... Surely, if they beat Liverpool, they need to be taken seriously as potential title challengers for this season.
0: Yeah, I feel like we should be taking them seriously right now, regardless of of, of what happens at, at the Liverpool game. They are, you know, without doubt, t- title challengers in this ever bizarre season that is just so unbelievably open. But in in terms of Leicester, I mean, they're just playing with so much confidence at the minute. And you know, obviously, as as, as a City fan, I'm very much aware of what Jamie Vardy can do. And um, <laughs> you know, he's he's going to be smelling blood this weekend, obviously, with a bit of a makeshift defence for Liverpool. So. I think, you know, this is going to be a big test for Liverpool. And I think, you know, realistically, Leicester are going into this thinking they might take points away from from Anfield, which there's some, I mean, there's some insane stat out there, isn't there? It's like 63 or 64 games that Liverpool are unbeaten at home. And, you know, yeah, there's a mad. chance that, yeah, Leicester might break that this weekend.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, they've had their injuries as well, Leicester City. But I mean, all the focus, Michelle, has been on that Liverpool defence, which has been absolutely decimated with you know, injuries and players falling by the wayside, left, right, and centre, and on the treatment table. So, you know, Liverpool could potentially be missing their entire back four if Ugh. worse comes to worse. And Mohamed Salah's also been yep. uh, revealed to have had a positive COVID test. So it's not looking good for Liverpool, although Jurgen Klopp, the manager, does call them mentality giants, his players. So <laughs> do you think that they can still get the job done against a Leicester side that have been effective even with their injury issues?
3: Yeah, I, honestly, I've seen that Jordan Henderson is now on the injury list as well. <laughs> so I'm really not feeling confident for, for Liverpool. Yeah, Trent Alexander, Arnold is out. Obviously, Mohamed Salah because of that COVID test. We don't know about Fabinho. We don't know about Thiago. It, mm. It's an incredible list, and that's not even mentioning some some of the others. I mean, it, it is nice to see youngsters given a chance. You put Virgil van Dijk, Joe Gomez out. um, it could be reese williams i think at center back alongside joel matip should for not do you know what michelle i think
2: he might have a knock as well you know really I, I, oh, seriously wow. yeah I, honestly i think that it's is great, getting that bad
3: so then i think uh it would be nat phillips yeah and then you've got nico williams who i do really rate and james milder there are options at right back aren't they but then because jordan henderson is missing then will James Milner not be in midfield? So it's really difficult for, for Klopp this weekend. And if Vardy is firing and, and fit, then yeah, I definitely worry for that, that Liverpool yeah. defence. It's going to be very interesting to see how they go at that. But then you think up top, you know, they should have Diego Jota fit and he's been fantastic for them. And I know Salah's missing, but I'm starting to think that that front three could be a little bit more fluid this season. Yeah. It's not just the three we saw last season. So I wouldn't worry about them too much going forward. And I think... You know, I think in midfield, they can cobble that together. But defensively, yeah, I would worry about Leicester going at that Liverpool defence at at the weekend. And I agree with Nat, you know, Leicester should be taken seriously as title Mm. challengers. Their problem is they they tend to fall away as the season goes on. But it's so open this season. Who knows? You know, you
2: you briefly (laughs) mentioned it there, Michelle. And actually, it reminds me of when Jurgen Klopp first came into Liverpool, where they would kind of win games 5-4 four or 4-3 four, because their attacking prowess was so good they would able be able to outscore the opposition. I think that maybe Jurgen Klopp might have to rely on Liverpool being slightly top-heavy and just say, just go out there and score as many goals as you can. It doesn't matter if you concede three because defensively, everyone says that a good title win inside or a solid side is built on a great defence, but you can't legislate for that many injuries. So do you feel that Jurgen Klopp might be saying, right, just go gung-ho against Leicester, fight fire with fire and see if we can outscore them?
3: (laughs) Well, I hope he does, because for the neutral, it's incredibly entertaining. Um, And I do think they've got the quality to score some goals. Um, It's just... It's it's impossible to say here how it approach it because that was how, how how it used to be. But yeah, like I said, with that the mm-hmm. with the strikers they've got and and the depth they've they've got, they've still got world ca- world class players in that, you know. Um yeah. and okay, we saw a pretty settled eleven last season and we saw the front three pretty constant. But like I say, I think I think with what they've got, yeah, that might be the message to go out and then hope the likes and the experience of James Milner can just provide some stability in front of that yeah that back that back three or back four depending on on how they play and how they deal with the threat of Jamie Vardy and the under 23 players stepping up it's it's going to be an intriguing one
2: yeah i mean i described it as a reserves game i was being quite uh, fastidious in that intro <laughs> there to be fair i don't think it'll be quite like that but certainly Um, It wouldn't be surprising, as you say, Michelle, to see some under 23 players in the side. But of course, Jurgen Klopp gets paid the big coins because that's exactly his job to try and figure out what Liverpool do next. However, what about his opposite number in the other dugout, Nat? Brendan Rodgers. Leicester also have their injuries. Some key players from last season are injured right now, especially in their defence too. I'm thinking Ricardo Pereira and Shagla Suenshu are both injured. And Didi as well, another great performer in midfield, has been sort of plagued with injury this season so far. So we talk a lot about Klopp and about Pep and how great a manager those two are. But do you think Brendan Rodgers is slightly overlooked as a top manager in the Premier League?
0: Yeah. Do do you know what? Do, Do you not feel like we've been saying this for so long, though? Like, it seems like Rodgers being... Underrated is a conversation or a debate that's been going on for years and years, and I feel like it is time to just ex- accept that that Brendan Rodgers is a top manager. Um, and I think you know maybe it goes back to to you know to when he was at Liverpool, and I know that there's a lot of Liverpool fans that have really mixed feelings about him still. You know, from those that they never wanted him, and those that actually loved him and thought he did a really good job. Um, but I often wonder with Rodgers, and I think we do this with with a lot of managers um, and, and people in this country. To be fair we don't always take them serious for their job because of their personalities and obviously yes he's he's a bit you know he's comical into he? he's a bit he's a bit roger's a bit of a novelty and he's like post-match interviews and things well he's I had think...
2: those memes made out of him hasn't he Now, yes. and i think part of it has kind of taken the legitimacy away from his actual achievements because you know exactly. he says character all the time in his post-match interviews i think people kind of denigrate his actual achievements which is a bit harsh really when you think about it
0: Totally. And if you just absolutely judge him on his results, then, then he's a top manager.
2: I agree. Sorry, I was taking a drink there. I, I was having a sip of my iron brew. <laughs> <laughs> um, absolutely a fascinating encounter, this one. Liverpool versus Leicester. Leicester City top and Liverpool in third. So if Leicester win this, they can extend their lead at the top of the Premier League and certainly as... As Nat says, sort of cement themselves as title contenders. That's a seven fifteen p.m. kickoff on Sunday. The other big game of the weekend takes place at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, where Manchester City travel to North London. Five thirty PM kickoff on Saturday evening. Uh, Manchester City haven't actually beaten Spurs at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium yet, so some might argue that the ball is in Tottenham's court, but I wouldn't read too much into that because there's plenty of other narratives heading into this game, including a new deal for Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, Michelle. Do you think that will give him a bit of renewed enthusiasm heading into this game? Because... There were lots of talks about whether Pep would even stay at the club and whether he was the right man moving forward. But now he's put an end to all of that speculation and said, right, I'm committed to staying at Manchester City until at least 2023, another two years after the end of this season. And obviously, as the story goes, following Pep Guardiola's career, he honours pretty much every contract that he's ever been given. So it seems quite likely that he will see out that deal. So do you think that will give him and City fans sort of renewed enthusiasm and optimism moving forward?
3: Yeah, he does seem to be a man of his word, doesn't he? Um, I I was surprised because I thought maybe he'd give it this season and if they didn't get the Champions League, then he'd be on his way and maybe that would be sort of a mutual thing. But, you know, what he's doing, the owners are happy with and that's been reflected in in the new contract. I'd imagine for him, if he's really happy in Manchester and, you know, if he's happy in his personal life, then it, it translates, doesn't it, into what you're doing on the pitch and we've not recognized Manchester city at times this season in terms of some of the results we've seen, but maybe with this settled, maybe it will help him focus a little bit more. Maybe the players will be more, more settled, but
4: mm. I,
3: I, you know, what's going on underneath this one is, you know, the big, uh, the big battle between him, um, Mourinho. I know they've faced off before in, in clasicos and Manchester derbies. Yes. And I, I think I read, um, Mourinho's lost to, to Guardiola led teams. Uh, 10 defeats he's suffered more than against any other manager so ah. he's not had the best record <laughs> um against them so he's already got that sort of one one-upmanship on mm. him so with all that going on all the sort of psychological stuff I guess is what we're talking about here it's um it's a it's to me it's an edge for for man City but I do feel that Spurs are having a great season.
2: Yeah, you're right, Michelle. This has become a really fun fixture over the years. Maybe not so fun... Uh, for you, Nat, especially after that <laughs> Champions League game a couple of years ago, um, that but those still are the sort of,
0: by the way, as well, Niall. Like, I, I could cry if I talk about that game.
2: <laughs> Let's not make you cry on the podcast. I'd rather not do that. <laughs> but certainly, we should probably talk about the fact that there's been some really exciting games between these two down the years. I think of one that I was at at the Etihad um, a couple of seasons ago when City en route to winning the title. Phil Foden scored a header. And Tottenham were all over City in the first half and it felt like, you know, Tottenham were able to kind of spoil the parade, so to speak, but City clung on and the games have always been, it feels like they've been pretty close. You'll probably have paid more attention to them than I would. So do you think that would be a fair assessment?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's becoming a, a really exciting fixture. And um, considering there isn't any kind of ri- history rivalry between us, it is still one that I look for on the fixture list when it first comes out, because you pretty much are guaranteed to have an exciting game where something happens. You know, it's definitely, if I was a neutral, this is this is one game that I would be looking at, ev- you know, ev- every single year. Um, I've got to say though, now, I've got to pull you up a bit, like, everybody's just got to chill a little bit. Like, we've only lost one game this season like we we also we it's what I feel like we started us and United started on the back foot because obviously we started a week later than everybody else we still have that game in hand that we've not played if we were to if we'd have won that game straight away or if we if we do win that game then we're only two points behind Liverpool like you know three points behind Leicester you know it's I just I just feel like we you know we're inconsistent this season obviously like so many teams are this year um but I just feel like everybody just needs to chill you know Pep's got his his new deal now you know we're out of that kind of limbo feeling everybody is settled again and happy and we know where we are for the next couple of years now Um, and I think we're only going to kick on now and you know tomorrow is a great game to start that it'll be a great game
2: yeah I think you've probably spotted that I've written in the podcast notes that if City loses, is that it for the title challenge? But you've already beat me to the charge. <laughs> I'm not going to ask that question. You've already put me in my mm-hmm. place there. But certainly, Everybody can chill. I think also as well, with Pep signing a new contract, it goes back to what Michelle said about, you know, maybe last season there were some rumours as to whether the City players felt like they weren't sure about the cause because they weren't sure about the manager's future. But certainly that's put pay to that now. He's signed a, a new contract which means that it'll be seven years by the time 2023 rolls around. And if you put that in contrast, Michelle, with Jose Mourinho, who will be celebrating his one-year anniversary as Spurs boss. In fact, it's already passed, I think, but this will be his first game since the anniversary took place. So in that year, since he's replaced Maurizio Pochettino, could you label his tenure so far as a success or is it still the jury out on that one, do you think?
3: Well... It's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because last season wasn't normal at all, but I guess everyone had to had to steer their way through the lockdown and, and, and things like that. And maybe he felt he was only sort of settling in by sort of February, March time. And then he was without so many players. He's had so many injuries and they finished sick. They did finish sick last season, didn't they, in the end?
4: Yeah.
3: Mm. Um, From where they were when he took over, I would say that was pretty decent. I think people forget that they were struggling sort of mid-table when Poch left and he came in. They're doing brilliantly this season. I think we'll actually be able to evaluate how he's getting on um, after their next few fixtures, because seven of their next games come against teams that finished in the top eight last season. So obviously Manchester City this weekend. Then they've got Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, Leicester and Wolves. And Tough. they've also they've also got to play three Europa League games, and they've got the League Cup quarter final in that spell. So and then
2: it's Christmas after, and that, then Michelle. it's Christmas. So it's Wild! Yeah. Yeah. It's
3: it's it's a crazy time for him coming up. I really feel like come New Year, we'll really see where Tottenham are at, and a lot of that is going to be because of fitness and and who can stay fit. You know, what's Gareth Bale going to do? Is he going to mm. be able to get that Kane, Son, and Bale? relationship really firing it's exciting if I was a Spurs fan I'd be really excited because I think that he's doing a decent job that's how I'd sum it up so far but I'm not a Spurs fan so they may say they may say differently because in context where they finished from where they from when he took over I didn't think was a bad job last season and I think he's doing a very good job this season and I'm excited those big seven or eight games coming up they're massive and we're really going to see where Spurs are at I think
2: yeah, you're absolutely spot on. Even though Tottenham are second in the league right now, they still feel a little bit patchy to me. I'm not sure why, but we'll be interested to see what the result is against Manchester City in North London on Saturday. That game kicks off at 5:30. Still loads of the rest of the weekend's Premier League action to talk about. We'll do it next here on Football Social Daily.
1: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social.
2: Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Niall. I've got Natalie and Michelle alongside me in time to discuss the game at Ellen Road, which takes place on Sunday in the Premier League as Leeds United entertain Arsenal. Now, I say entertain and Leeds are exactly that. They're a really entertaining side, Nat. I think Premier League fans sometimes like to take the mickey out of Leeds fans and have a bit of banter saying that no one likes Leeds and dirty (laughs) Leeds and all of this stuff, but... They've been away for 16 years but I don't know if you'd agree with this I think the Premier League is a better place with Leeds United in it.
0: Yeah definitely I mean we'd rather have teams that want to go all out and try and score four goals and concede three goals than teams that just want to come and sit <laughs> on the back foot don't they like you know just win games 1-0 it's well better for the Premier League it's it's much more exciting and I think it is banter because I don't I secretly think everybody actually likes Leeds we, <laughs> we like the story we like the passion and obviously for those of us that are of the blue persuasion we love the fact that they hate united
2: as well get on board with that of course that's something that you can get on board with um like you say you mentioned it just then that they're exciting going forward but they keep conceding four at the back they've conceded four in their last two premier league games consecutively and that's the third time this season as well after conceding four on the opening day against liverpool it's great for entertainment it's great for the neutral but defensively that's not great for marcelo bielsa the manager or leeds united fans
0: yeah, but I think they they go for it um, in in games, which, as I said, I, I really like. And ultimately, that ends up leaving them a bit open and giving the opposition some chances. But, you know, you have to say, so when you're looking back say it, was the Palace game um, that they got beat recently in when mm-hmm. they had that awful offside decision with Patrick Bamford. Now, yeah. if that is not ruled out, then obviously the game is completely different. And I know that's one of those stupid things that people say, but obviously the game could have been, you know, completely different. Um, they're just really, really inconsistent. As so, And I keep saying it, as so many teams in the Premier League are this year, and they... They really need a result from this game and, and you know, randomly feels like maybe they'll get one.
2: Yeah, definitely. Leeds United 15th at the moment, but for some reason it feels like they can give Arsenal a really good game. I'd get on board with that. As for Arsenal, Michelle, Mikel Arteta says... You know He was so unimpressed with the displays before the international break, the last fixture they lost to your team, Aston Villa, by three goals (laughs) to nil. And he said that he didn't recognise his team. Now, Arsenal were poor, but Villa were great, I have to say that. But certainly he'll be looking to see a reaction from his side. Because to say that he didn't recognise his team, it's almost completely anti-everything that Arteta tries to instil in his players. Yeah,
3: I think maybe it's a lack of goals. You know they've not scored any from open play in their last four league games. That's left them as the wow. third lowest scorers outside the bottom three. Um, they've actually conceded fewer goals than they had this time last season, which I thought was quite interesting. But I just think it's that flair. It's going forward. There's there's something going on. Organisation defensively, obviously, that wasn't very pretty against Aston Villa. It was very pretty for me as a Villa fan. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's I, I'd expect hmm. probably. A different team than what played against Villa. I would expect, like you both were just saying there, that Arsenal can exploit Leeds a little bit because they're far more open. And the Arsenal, the traditional Arsenal, I guess, that that we're talking about in, in, in terms of an Arteta team, you'd expect would be some nice free-flowing football. So maybe this is this is a game where they can bounce back from that Villa result. And maybe for them, off the back of that 3-0 defeat, that'll be you know, good time for the international break, but they did have a good win, and, albeit against Mulder in the in the um, Europa League. They had a mm. 4-1 win in that game, you know, and they were mm. scoring plenty with respect, not the best opposition, but they're just not firing. But then the game before that, they beat Manchester United, you know, and, and it's like we forget these yeah. things because the games come so thick and fast. So even though they were terrible against Villa, all Villa were very good, mm. um They had that one against Manchester United, but they're just not scoring that many goals. Yeah, like Um, like
2: I said before, both sides have lost three of their last four Premier League games, which will be of of concern. But one of those wins for Arsenal was against Manchester United, but that was only 1-0. So I think you're right, Michel. Do you think Aubameyang needs to start scoring some goals? I mean, it's not really been a problem for old Pierre over the years, has it, scoring goals? But certainly since he signed his new contract and throughout this season so far, eight games in, nine games in... He's not really found the back of the net regularly enough.
3: I was going to say it's almost since since signing that that contract. I think he's only scored two goals and he's got an assist as well, but you compare it to last season, 22 goals in 36 games. Yeah. So yeah, it's a big difference so far. And I know how overjoyed the the Arsenal fans were to have him sign that contract. But it's so funny, the stark contrast between someone like Jack Grealish, who signed a new big deal at Aston Villa, and he's just come out flying, It's as if it was a weight off his shoulders, and he's Mm. better than ever. Whereas Aubameyang's gone the other way. So I I really didn't expect that from him. And for Arsenal to play well, you do feel like they need Young firing, don't
2: you? 100% and maybe he will this weekend against Leeds. That game's 4.30 on Sunday. The early kick-off on Sunday, the lunchtime game, 12pm, takes place at Craven Cottage where Fulham hosts Everton. Fulham managed to get that first elusive win of the season against West Brom at the start of the month, which feels like a long, long time ago now, all the way back on the second uh, of November and it's only the weekend of the 21st now. Um, but wins have also been pretty elusive for Everton recently, Nat, despite their flying start to the season where I think they were unbeaten in their first seven games. So if the Toffees are to finish in the top four and get a Champions League place this season, they do have to win these sorts of games and beat struggling sides like Fulham.
0: Yeah, I mean, they've they've absolutely got to bounce back in this game after some of their, their recent defeats. Um, I feel like as well, when you look at their fixtures coming up as well, this could be classed as a bit of a pivotal game for them because they've got Leeds and Burnley after this and it feels like if they could get the buzz back if they could win this game get the confidence back they could end up kicking on and winning those three games and if they win those three games then they're right back up there you know t- at the top of the table in the top four and that would be mm. you know that's that's a huge confidence boost I haven't I've missed is Richard is Richarlison back yeah he's
3: back I think the three match suspension is done so he should be back
0: well, I mean, obviously that's just just a, a huge boost, isn't it? And the kind of um, difference in them, you know, when he's there and he, and he hasn't, it's been huge. So that's massive for them.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, James Rodriguez as well. There's been a few rumblings about his fitness and when he's available. I mean, he's so creative and really, really important for Everton. Um, however, Fulham will be hoping that he's not fit. Um, Michelle, to be honest, they lost their last game before the international break to West Ham. But it was a close game and they've played better in that game against the Hammers than they have done in recent times. Before that, as I mentioned, they managed to get their first win of the season against West Brom, which kind of felt like a turning point in the season for Scott Parker. Do you think the international break might have actually come at a bad time for Fulham, even though they lost just before it against West Ham? Their performances had improved up to that point.
3: I feel like when you when you look at the table and you open it up, you fully expect Fulham to be second from bottom because everyone knows Sheffield United are dreadful so far. But I was pleasantly surprised for Fulham to see no, actually they're not even in the bottom three. Yeah, got, <laughs> <laughs> and, and okay, it's not saying a lot because you know from Brighton down to Sheffield United, it's it's pretty dire in terms of points and wins so far this season. But unlike West Brom, Burnley, and Sheffield United below them, they have got that win this season, albeit it was against a fellow promoted side, but it doesn't matter. Both Premier League mm. teams now. I thought against the West Ham game, like you said, they weren't bad. They had quite a lot of shots. They were just a bit wayward. Um, it's, I don't know about Fulham. I, I, this sounds a bit of a sweeping statement, but I think they're really going to struggle to stay up because they're going to have to take points, it's cliched, against the teams in and around them. And they drew with Sheffield United one all, Against Everton... I, I can only really see Everton coming on coming, you know, through on this one, mm. especially with the quality we've just mentioned. Richardson, Hamas Rodriguez, who's been absolute quality before he had that knock. I don't think he's been quite as good since then. Um they've also got um a couple of other players back, although um Seamus Coleman is out yeah. because he picked up an injury with Ireland. So I just look at that Fulham team and, and the way they've been playing and yeah i don't really fancy fulham against uh, that that everton team sorry i don't fancy fulham against them this weekend
2: i think i'd agree with you there even though everton have lost their last three games and they were stinking before the international break in their last game Mm -hmm. uh before the 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 international games took place um they'd lost three and uh draw drew the game before that so you know they're yet to win in in the last four games. This will be their fifth attempt at at trying to get back on track. So certainly something they need to do. And Fulham uh, are a good opposition to try and do that against, particularly with their ambitions this season, purely to stay up and some of the performances they've put in that game. A Craven Cottage kicks off at 12pm on Sunday. Now... All the way back from London to uh, the North West, where Manchester United take on West Brom. And we're talking about sides in desperate need of a win. Both of these sides are one of those uh, fit that criteria for (laughs) sure. This one's a Saturday 8pm kickoff. Manchester United have to win. It's as simple as that, Nat. Their league position makes for grim reading for a club that big, but not for a Manchester City fan. Um, They're in the bottom (laughs) half of the table, yet to win at Old Trafford this season in the Premier League. They've only picked up one point at home. Out of the ten that they've accumulated so far this season, only one of those has come on home soil. Last time they won a Premier League game at Old Trafford was in Project Restart in July. So big, big things at stake here for United.
0: Yeah, and do you know what? Usually I would love this league table and I would laugh at it. But given what I said said about City, I am, you know, I, I do you know, they have the game in hand as well that would lift them right right the way up if they hadn't started a week later than everyone else. So I'm still I'm to be fair, I'm ignoring the league at the minute even though obviously it would be fun to look at it for them um but yeah they the fact that they've not won at home this season like I didn't realize that until until I read it um prepping for today and that is just absolutely Mm. nuts and again I'm going to use that word again I I feel like I need to make a donation to charity or something every time I say it but they're inconsistent again you know (laughs) commonly throughout the Premier League and this is a must win and can you imagine like a few years ago or when you were growing up, the idea that you're talking about West Brom going to Old Trafford and you think, well, maybe <laughs> they, might <get laughs> they might get a point. <laughs> like, that's so, so crazy. But obviously they had that really good win against Everton. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Solskjaer always manages to kind of show that he can get a result when he needs to save his job. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is just, it's a huge game for them. They've yeah, Like you say, absolutely got to win.
2: Yeah, definitely. You feel that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer might be in some hot water if he doesn't pick up three points against a really struggling side in West Brom. Um, You know, they got a draw against Chelsea uh, uh, after being three goals in front West Brom, and that's kind of been their best result of the season so far. So I think that tells you everything you need to know uh, about them. But certainly from a Baggies perspective, they've got nothing to lose and they've got this weird kind of intertwined history with Manchester United where in Sir Alex Ferguson's last game in 2013. I think it was a 5-5 draw and Lukaku scored a hat-trick for West Brom and even linking it back to Chelsea again, Michelle. I remember a couple of times where West Brom have beaten Chelsea and that's caused a manager to be sacked the next day. So in these sorts of games, they, they seem to have a knack for getting results over the years.
3: Yeah, don't underestimate them if we can. Let's remember just before the international break, Tottenham could not break them down until the 88th minute when Harry Kane got that goal. And actually, in that game, they weren't bad. You know, they had a li- you know they didn't have all the possession, but they were okay. And before that, they got the draw against Brighton. Okay, Brighton aren't fantastic, but that was a decentish result for them. Mm. Okay, they drew a Burnley before that, 0-0, Probably <laughs> one of the worst games of the season. But they they're not.
2: Yeah, you won't be seeing that on Premier like, League years, will you? To be <laughs> fair, no, right.
3: The, the thing is, they look. If you looked at the table, you look at the results, you think, oh, they're not very good. But then they did have that big defeat to Everton, which was 5-2. But that's when Everton were brilliant at the start of the season. Since then, since the last international break, yeah, you know, that's where they picked up their points. They haven't won yet this season. But I would fancy them to go to Manchester United and upset a few people. Because like we just touched on there, Ollie is under some serious pressure. So... If they're not firing at Old Trafford, which you've just discussed, why not? You know, eight o'clock kickoff on the telly, West Brom put on a show. Yes, love it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Natalie's already set a reminder on her TV box. Set it to record, please. Uh, West Bromwich Albion travel to Old Trafford to play Manchester United. That's an 8 p.m. kickoff on Saturday. Right, time for another quick break here on Football Social Daily, but still three Premier League games to get through ahead of the weekend's action. We'll do it next here on the podcast.
1: (laughs) To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at Sport-Social.co.uk.
2: Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the daily Premier League podcast, keeping you in the loop with all the latest goings on around the English top flight. Make sure you hit subscribe, and that way you won't ever miss another episode of the podcast again. A new show every single day of the season, and. I uh, I challenge you to find another podcast that can do that for you. Next game, we're going to talk about Aston Villa against Brighton and Hove Albion. Traditional kickoff time, 3pm on Saturday. Um, Aston Villa have had a great season so far. Um, For you, Michelle, as an Aston Villa supporter, the performances of the Villa players for their countries during the international break must fill you and other Villa fans with quite a bit of confidence because... You look at the likes of of McGinn, who managed to qualify with Scotland. Jack Grealish was brilliant for England. Um, Surely, if they can continue that form into the league, uh, then that can only be positive.
3: Mm, It also fills me with worry because I want to wrap them up in cotton wool every time they step out. That is so funny because... As an England fan, I'm half English, half Welsh. Not the time to go into it. But anyway, Jack Grealish, (laughs) we've been begging for him as a Villa fan to start for England because we know how good he is because we see him week in, week out. And now he's starting, you're like, okay, just be careful with him, please. And then, yeah, John McGinn, he's he's so so underrated in the Premier League. Honestly, one of one of the hardest working midfielders and Natalie will know about him for Scotland. He just doesn't stop. He's like a little terrier. And for me, when I look at that Villa lineup, I just feel such confidence this season. We've had a couple of wobbles, but you look where we are compared to last season. It's so exciting and it's because we got it right in summer. The difference in what Villa did in the transfer market this summer has been phenomenal. It was only yeah. five signings, I think, but what, the impact they've made and the way they've gelled because last summer was just felt like oh let's have this person let's have that player but Ollie Watkins I mean anyone that's watched him at Brentford and anyone watched him before at Exeter will know that he is, he's he's absolutely fantastic and I know Brighton are organised but I really think he's going to cause them mm-hmm. some problems and then I look at the sort of three behind Jack Grealish you know man in the match for in the other night although I don't know how Phil Ferdinand didn't get that but he got it <laughs> and, and he's getting he's finally getting the praise he deserves and Ross Barkley for me I can't believe he wasn't called up to the England squad and Jude Bellingham was. And I'm delighted for him, you know, as a young lad getting in. But I'm sorry, Ross Barkley's done a lot more this season to earn a call-up. And Trezeguet is, you know, I won't go through the whole team. Uh, What am I doing? I'm a Villa fan. I'm being a Villa (laughs) fan. You could,
2: though. You could. I I mean, you say that, but uh, honestly... Talking about the Barkley thing, Mm. I mentioned that on the podcast last week and I said it's like, you know, getting Ant and not Deck to present I'm a Celebrity. It's just not the same without the two of them. Um, It's just one of those things where surely if you can pick two players that are both really informed for their clubs and, you know, provide great foil for each other and bounce really well off of each other. It makes the most sense. But anyway, Gareth Southgate's the gaffer and I'm not. so i will have to <laughs> stick that for the time being. Um, certainly against Brighton, Aston Villa will feel like they've got a really good chance because they need to start winning games, the Seagulls, don't they, Nat? They've had a tough start against some difficult teams and you can't write that off. But certainly some of the easier games, if that is the right term, that they've had, they haven't picked up a full three points from.
0: Yeah, it's weird. I think Brighton are a weird one. I, I don't really know what to expect from them this season. Um obviously this, at the at the start of the season they, they you know they they looked good against Chelsea. Um Newcastle and was it United as well where they where they, they looked decent and then obviously they recently played West Brom and, and Burnley and obviously not so much. Um I'm not sure when I look at their league position and see them sitting in 16th, if I am looking at the league, I feel like it underrates them a, a, a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not sure about them this season.
2: There's a four point gap though, Nat, between them in 16th and Leeds United in 15th. So, I mean, they won't want that to grow any bigger, will they? Uh, I mean, even even a draw against Aston Villa with the season that they have, they're having might be an okay result, particularly with Leeds going to Arsenal, as we've already discussed.
0: Oh, I think they'd snap your hand off for that right now. You know, the form the form that Villa are in and the confidence that they've got. I mean, you can hear from Michelle talking about a club there, how how much confidence you've got and how much, you know, Villa are enjoying this season already. Um, so I think they'd snap your hand off for a point right now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Another side who will probably snap your hand off for a result against Chelsea would be Newcastle United, because that's their opponents at St. James's Park. In the early kickoff on Saturday, Uh, Steve Bruce, the Newcastle United manager, has been talking in his press conference about Miguel Almiron, the forward uh, uh, for the Magpies. And he insists that Almiron is not unhappy at Newcastle, despite recent reports. And he's actually called his agent an amateur who's trying to score some more cash from a move ahead of Christmas. But I'm sorry to break it to you, Steve, but that is exactly what agents do. And that's what they've been doing for years. I wonder, Michelle, if if you were a Newcastle United player, whether you would be unhappy, <laughs> such as the reports uh, have been labelled towards Almiron. Because if you look at the statistics and, I, uh, you know, there was one uh, co-commentator I used to work with who used to say stats are for Prats and he didn't believe in them. But certainly with Newcastle, the lowest average possession, most shots on target conceded in the Premier League. That's just a couple. Let alone the style of play that Steve Bruce is using at the moment. If you were Almoron, would you be be an unhappy chappy right now?
3: Oh, I've seen Almiron a couple of times, like in person. He does work really hard, and he just looks like one of those players that's desperate to do well. Yeah. And yeah, it's and his stats personally aren't particularly impressive. And I thought there was quite a lot of excitement for Newcastle fans when when they when they got him in. And yeah, I know they had the loss against Southampton. Uh, just before the international break, and they were pretty dire in that. But Southampton were pretty impressive. But before that, mm. Newcastle beat Everton, and yeah, it was a bit of a smash and grab. If you look, if you want to look at the statistics, you know. But yeah, if I was Elmer on, I don't know. I, I I know what happened at Villa with Steve Bruce was the Villa fans weren't very happy with how he was playing. <laughs> The system. Like, he how had a cabbage players. thrown at his head. He did have a cabbage <laughs> thrown at his head, which I would never <laughs> endorse. But I, I don't know if Newcastle fans are unhappy with the way he's playing players in certain positions, but he's missing a couple of players. I think Ryan Fraser is out. Um, I don't think he's going to have Matt Ritchie or John Joe Shelby back either. So, yeah, he's, he's he's, missing a few players. And there's doubts over Callum Wilson as well, who's the top scorer. So he's declared himself fit, but I'm not quite sure if he's going to make it. And when you're playing a team of Chelsea's quality, well, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an uphill battle, isn't it? And you think of the quality yeah. Chelsea have got. It's just, I, I, I don't know if Steve Bruce sort of gets this reputation sometimes. People look to put the blame on him, but it's exactly what happened at Villa. And I don't know if it's happening at, at, at Newcastle.
2: Yeah, I think maybe it's the pragmatism of Steve Bruce or maybe even the stubbornness to try and change things up. He's got much better players now, I think, this season than he even had last season. So, yeah, maybe we'll have to wait and see what happens with Steve Bruce and his Newcastle future. But certainly from the the Toon fans we've spoken to on the podcast, particularly that game against Southampton that you highlighted, uh, just the difference in style of play, the difference in intensity and and the tactical choices that Bruce made, I think, was uh, of annoyance to Newcastle fans, let's just say that. As for Chelsea, if they win that, they can get into the top four and they'll even be top of the Premier League briefly because this is the first game of the weekend. So, you know, imagine that Chelsea being sat top of the Premier League under Frank Lampard, even though if it does happen, it won't last long because as soon as the (laughs) other games kick off, they'll be knocked off top spot. But it'll be good to make a statement briefly to show that they are, you know, in line to be considered in the title frame. They want to be considered in that title picture.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're forming a line at the minute, I would say they are the front of the queue behind, you know, with only City and Liverpool ahead of them. Obviously, we've mentioned Leicester already and Tottenham, who are, you know, can definitely be considered as title challengers as well. But I think Chelsea 100% are, are definitely now. Um, you know, they had that, uh, fair to say I'd call it a stuttering start um, but they, they seem to have adapted now you know the si- his system is working the players are settling in um, and obviously before the international break they were really kind of hitting their stride um, especially obviously in, in attack as well so um, I, I think you know they are an absolute title contender um, and the, the more that the season goes on and the more they they Get with the system, and they, you know, the new players get with the Premier League. And I just think they're only going to get stronger and stronger.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Certainly, it'd be interesting to see whether. Chelsea's players that are away on international duty can come back and continue to fire. Certainly for the two German lads, Kai Havertz and Timo Werner, wasn't very happy against Spain midweek where they got whacked 6-0. And uh, one of your players, Ferran Torres, got a hat-trick, oh, yeah. didn't he? So uh, that will give confidence maybe to City, but maybe not so much to Werner and Havertz. Although Newcastle, you'd expect Chelsea to win that one. That game at St. James's Park, the early kick-off. Lunchtime, 1230 On Saturday, Final game we're going to talk about, and apologies if you are a blade or a hammer, uh, Sheffield United versus West Ham United, Sunday 2pm. The Blades, as you've already said, Michelle, they are stone dead bottom of the Premier League. They have not had a good time of it so far. However, could they catch West Ham cold possibly after this international break? Could Chris Wilder possibly even draw a line under the season so far and say, right, here's a natural break in the season. The international break's come and gone. Here's a fresh start to the season. Our season begins right now.
3: I don't think so. Sorry, but I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry to be um, so uh, negative, Sheffield United fans. But its I guess it's like that second season syndrome that they were so great last season. Although I'm trying to think back and it feels like a long time ago. Actually, after Project Restart they were pretty rubbish they had a good Mm. win against Hull. then after that i don't think much happened for them and it's like they had a hangover from that when they started this season and they've never got going and they're not a team i've watched regularly i've been out and about games when i've caught them in highlights or or match of the day i've not seen a lot to encourage me even against fulham which is a team you'd expect you know they're one nil down they did manage to salvage a point from that but it had to come from a penalty so yeah I'm not sure what's happening there. I thought when they signed Ree and Brewster, that might be quite exciting for them, but he doesn't seem to have, have done a lot for them either. So they came into Is the... that
2: karma for the goal line technology gaffe against Aston Villa, <laughs> wow. Michelle? Yeah, I know. That was, that was... Are you secretly happy that... <laughs> no, no, have gone? no, 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 no,
3: <laughs> no, never. But I just wonder if he... I don't know, might he change system? Might he change from playing the wing backs? But like I said, you know, when they signed Ree and Brewster, I thought that would be really exciting for them. They've got a bit of firing mm. power there, but... I'm not sure what's happened. Ollie McBurney doesn't seem to be doing much for them, although I think he's been restricted to the subs bench lately. But West Ham, I'd fancy West Ham for this, because they, Mm. I think by probably their own fans' admissions, they exceeded expectations. And at one point, they were flying really high in in the table. You know, they were sort of top 10 for quite a while, down to 12 now. But, yeah, they were doing Mm. well while... While David Moyes was in isolation, ironically, but, you know, they went they went in off the back of a win against Fulham and they pushed Liverpool all the way mm. in the game before that. They drew with Manchester City. Sorry, Nat. But, um, you know, they, they've had some fantastic results and I, I can only see West Ham if they carry on as they mm. have getting the win. But like you say, maybe, just maybe this international break has been the perfect timing for Sheffield United.
2: Yeah, I think there's a few factors as to why Sheffield United are at the bottom of the Premier League, as you say, one point from eight games and right down at the the foot of the table. I think a couple of injuries as well to important players. Jack O'Connell has been out with a serious knee injury and he was so crucial to them at the back and You'll know, again, that as as a Scotland fan, you know, Fleck in the midfield uh, and also in defence as well has been key for them. Ender Stevens I think, might have a knock as well, who plays left wing back. So I think a few issues there. And also, if you look at the behind-closed-doors table, and I've said this on the podcast before, um, that is actually a thing, by the way, behind-closed-doors table. Sheffield United at the bottom of that too. So even, as you say, after restart, they were poor then. And I think they've suffered with having fans absent more than any other Premier League side. Certainly the evidence is there to argue that. As for West Ham, they have played well this season, as Michelle uh, rightly points out. Uh, and these are the sorts of games, Nat, that they can now be more confident going into compared to last season, where it felt a bit trepidatious, let's say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They, Like Michelle said, they've had a much better than expected start to the season. Um, and they also had, you know, when you looked at the fixture list, they had a t- a, it looked like a tough fixture list at the start of the season. So, um, you know, they've, they've done really well and they're showing a kind of... Um, like a a re, resol, like they look a bit more resolute. Like I don't know, you know the word I'm trying to look for. They look a bit more like solid um than than they did, you know, for much of last season. And I kind of think, I feel like David Moyes is another one of those managers that doesn't doesn't really have much respect from people. And mm. I think you know. Opinions of him look like they're changing, and I quite, you know, I quite, I like that. I, I, I quite like that. I, I've got a soft spot for him. It might be just not in me. Is <laughs> that I, only I, because I he was
2: terrible as United manager that you've got a soft spot for him?
0: <laughs> Pretty much because they hate him. I just automatically feel like I've got to defend him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> very, very good. Sheffield United against West Ham Sunday. 2pm. And with that, that's all of the weekend's fixtures, Saturday and Sunday, previewed nicely for you here on the podcast. Don't forget, the two games that take place on Monday night, you can hear a comprehensive preview of those on Monday's podcast. And to get all of the latest podcasts straight to your device, all you've got to do is hit subscribe or follow, whatever it may be. And as soon as a new episode is released, you'll be notified straight away uh, where can people catch you this weekend Michelle are you going to be covering a game this weekend
3: uh, yes I am you may have noticed that things are a little bit different with Covid obviously only one 3pm um, kickoff in the Premier League so we all get shunted about so normally i would be at Bristol City or Swansea but I'm taking some League 2 action tomorrow but I'm quite excited Ooh. because it's Newport who are top of the table so they're playing Port Vale so yeah that should be an interesting one
2: yeah, certainly. I hope the pitch and the weather conditions have improved at Rodney oh, Parade actually. over the years. <laughs> certainly not the best place to go in the heart of winter, that's for sure. Yeah. And what about you, Nat? Where will you be taking in the, uh, the Manchester City game at the weekend after Why your uh, escapades on fighting talk?
0: <laughs> yeah, so I'm on Fighting Talk tomorrow, um, which will probably be on by the time this comes out. Or, you know, that has a podcast as well. Not a rival to this one. It's completely different. <laughs> so I feel okay saying that. I'm actually not working the City game tomorrow. So I'll be watching it at home um, on TV. But I am working the City game on Wednesday. We're back in the Champions League Wednesday, I want to say. But the days
2: have merged together. <laughs> Feet up with an iron brew for Nat then this weekend, watching Spurs oh, versus yeah. City. Absolutely. Uh, my name's Niall. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks very much, Michelle. Thanks to Natalie. Don't forget, as I said, you can hit the subscribe button and also check out our Amazon Alexa and Google Home Skills where you can find Premier League match previews and match reports for every single game throughout the course of the season. It's a really cool little thing if I do say so myself. So go and check out that. But that's it for now and we'll speak to you again uh, tomorrow.
1: Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sport Social.